Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Stephanie Graham. Stephanie Graham is the owner of Graham Estate Planning. Stephanie is licensed to practice in New York, New Jersey, and Georgia, and relocated to Georgia 15 years ago. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you, Regeline. Thank you for having me today. I am grateful to be here and to share my story. You're welcome. It's an honor to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us about you and where you are from? So I am originally from New York, depending on who you ask. I grew up partly in New York and was born in New York and grew up partly in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I attended college in New York and attended law school in Pennsylvania. Very strange story. I just simply wanted to go to a smaller school, which did not exist within New York and relocated here about 15 years ago. Absolutely amazing. Now tell us more about your company, Graham Estate Planning. So Graham Estate Planning was born after um, several instances of being underpaid and underemployed in Georgia. So I relocated here in 2005 with a six month old and I did not know but one person. And I went back to work probably when she was almost two years old uh, with a prominent law firm. And then thereafter, when they ran out of work, um, I I hate to say it, but I felt like I was forced to go back into prosecuting, which is what I did in New York. And I loved it in New York, but it's very different here in Georgia than it was in New York. But no one else would hire me. They basically said that I had too much experience or I was overqualified every time I contracted myself out. So I was hired at the um, district attorney's office. In fact, I was interviewing with the district attorney's office as well as the attorney's office and the Fulton County attorney's office could not make a decision between me and another young lady, even though I had three licenses. And so I made the decision for them and withdrew my name and accepted the position with the Fulton County district attorney's office, because at that point I just needed a job. Um, and I worked there for about five and a half years. I had a major uh, car accident while I was employed there and um, basically changed my life. Um, I lost my courtroom and was placed on weekend shifts because I don't know why, but I had to have surgery on my leg two years later. So I, I got the impression that they didn't believe I was hurt. So I lost my courtroom and um, lost my office and was placed on weekend shifts. Um, but I was there in the non-complex unit, which is the unit where baby lawyers basically stop starts. And I was in there for about two years. And once I obtained my courtroom is when I got hurt about a year later. And when I asked for help, among some other things that were going on, that's when I lost my courtroom. So uh, thereafter, I eventually left on my own because I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I took a part-time gig with um, out in the local courts where you know the cities incorporate and have to hire their own attorneys to handle the traffic prosecution. So I did that for about a year and then I took another full-time job um, after a year because quite frankly, um, I have a daughter and I panicked when the hours changed. So I took another part, another full-time job with the government agency and I knew within four weeks that it was not a good fit for me, um, but I didn't want to quit another job. So I hung in there for about a year and again, I was underpaid and underemployed and I was hired with the understanding of one thing and then six weeks later they changed the whole dynamics and in the end I just we just had to come to an agreement and so thereafter um, 
let me back up a little bit. While that was happening, my grandmother actually uh, passed away, I think about four months into that job. And they told me that I didn't have any time uh, to take off for my grandmother's funeral. So I typically, I basically said, you do what you have to do and I'm going to do what I have to do. And I went to my grandmother's funeral. So when I eventually left that job, I had to sit there and think about what I wanted to do. I did not want to take another um, W-2 job because it just was not working out for me. Sat down, I had a conversation with myself about why I went to law school in the first place in conjunction with my grandmother passing away without a will when uh, grandma state planning was born six months later, because it's actually why I went to law school. But with everything happening, I kind of forgot. I worked in banking for six years where I observed these situations where um, older women would come into the bank with their powers of attorneys, but their powers of attorneys for whatever reason was always like the favorite grandchild. And so you know what that means. They weren't responsible. They just took grandma's money and I would go to my bank supervisor, who I'm very close with today, um, and I would ask him, well, how were they able to do that? And he would say, because that's their power of attorney. And it never made any sense to me. So that's what I had in my mind when I went to law school. But law school was um, an extraordinary experience. It was a good experience for me, but I was the older student. I was about five years older than everyone else. So I was exposed to all of these other areas of law, became very interested in employment law, for which to even today, they still won't hire you without experience. Um, didn't even think about having to argue and uh, post, um, you know, having arguments uh, in court. I never even thought about it. I just thought about research and writing. You know, I never thought about being the face of anything and ended up being the moot court chair after I thought I was going to drop out because public speaking absolutely terrified me. I mean, I would literally get sick before every performance. And in the end, I ended up training um, the first years and the second years in the end and um, received a lot of accolades by the time I graduated. But once I graduated, I could not find a job. So that's how I got my first job with the district attorney's office. Attorney's offices typically hire attorneys with no experience. And I loved it. I um, moved pretty quickly there. But I don't know. The New York experience to me is different. Other people may disagree, but that was my experience. Um, I received, received a uh, promotion to like a team leader where I became the liaison between my unit and the courthouse. And I had to assign 300 cases a week to 10 prosecutors. I had to um, train those prosecutors. But after about three and a half years, I left that because I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a prosecutor. I'm the type of person I can't do the same thing over and over again. So I went to a um, private practice firm, which was actually a prominently family law, about 60 to 70 percent. Um, but I was hired to litigate and I advised them that if they ever gave me a family law case that I was going to quit. So they didn't. And I had the pleasure of working in um, commercial litigation. Uh, dissolving partnership dissolutions and antitrust, which was a lot of fun. And then um, fast forward, I go through a divorce, a, a very traumatizing divorce, quite frankly, relocated to South Carolina for two years and then to Georgia. And it was a whole different experience. So I was being groomed for a judge in um, New York at 31. Then I come here and I run into people telling me I'm not ready or I'm too young, all types of excuses. So neither here nor there. I came to the conclusion with everything that I'd gone through that God had a different plan for me. Um, if I had had the perfect experience at the other jobs that I had here, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I've never been happier. So I love my practice. It seems like I have a, a natural, um, 
I guess, a natural niche for it. And my clients are able to relate to me because I've basically been through the same things they've gone through, except for maybe the second wife part. <laughs> and I say that only because that's where you have a that's where you have the heavy probate problems is the, the remarriages and the blended families. Uh, but I'm the oldest, you know, I'm the oldest of, you know, three siblings. I am a mom. Um, I am an ex-wife. Uh, so I can relate to all of the stories when people come through my door. I can relate to everything, including, you know, the job changes, um, you know, income changes. I can relate to everything. And I'm very open. I'm always told I'm just not the typical attorney. Just that's my story. That is fantastic. Now, our friend here, Renata, says Stephanie is amazing. <laughs> thank you, it. Renata. <laughs> yes. And thank you for tuning in. Now, Stephanie, you mm -hmm. mentioned divorce. Tell us more about how you overcame that obstacle in your life. For those that are listening now who may have gone through the same thing or who may even go through it one day, what's mm -hmm. the best advice that you would give to them to never give up? Hmm. I think the best advice I would give is to be true to yourself. Um, if you're true to yourself, um, whatever the universe has for you will, will come to light eventually. And I think when I when I got married, I was not that young. I think I was 29 or 30, but I was in school the entire time. Um, and when I first went to college, people who know me are not aware of this, but I was terribly, terribly shy. Like, Terribly, terribly shy. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't go out and wouldn't talk. Like I said, I considered dropping out of law school when they told me I had to do this thing called moot court. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, but I didn't, we got married because we were, you know, college sweethearts, but we really had nothing in common. It was like the whole time we were dating, I was in school, college, and then law school. And then I looked up one day after my career was established and I said, oh, we're still, you know, dating. And uh, <laughs> so when we got, when we got married and everything, it just, it didn't feel right. And everybody kept saying, oh, it was just wedding jitters and um, you two look good together, but it didn't feel right. And I was, I did not feel true to myself. And, and um, in the end, I mean, I had a very good life on the surface, had everything I could possibly want, you know, materialistically, but I just, I don't think either one of us were very happy. We were just different people. And I had my first car accident, um, which caused me to have panic attacks because when you can see what's about to happen to you, it, it causes a whole different set of um, problems. Like if you're a drunk driver and you have a car accident, you pretty much will walk away unscathed because you're not really lucid as to what's about to happen. But when you see it, it's, it's more traumatizing. So, um, that traumatized me for some time and I could not get better. Um, they couldn't figure out why I was not getting better from this accident after five months and six months, my symptoms just started getting worse and I couldn't sleep. They had me on so many different medications to try to soothe my pain um, and to help me sleep. And it would work for a little while, but in the end, nothing worked. And what we soon discovered by happenstance because of circumstances going on in both our lives, me and my ex-husband, is that quite frankly, I was under a lot of stress. So I thought it was the job and I left the job, right? And then I was home alone uh, with him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I started to see things that I couldn't see before. And quite frankly, I will tell you, literally, I said, oh my God, it wasn't the job. It's you. I, I mean, I'm it wasn't the job at all. It was him, but I didn't know that until after I left the job. And then he had a, a 
planned trip, even though, you know, he had a planned trip, he left town and I went to my mom and I think within 45 days of leaving, you know, I left the job first, um, 30 days later, I left him and I left New York and within 45 days where all these problems that I had been having for the last seven to nine months where they wanted to put a plate in my neck. That's how bad it was. I was in traction. Then 45 days of leaving, I fully recovered physically. And we came to the conclusion that I was under a tremendous amount of stress in that, high, in that household. I could not. So the person who went to college and the person who graduated and became the team leader was two different people. And I was not permitted to be my true self in that household. So um, I had to leave to be born, quite frankly. Um, that's how I took it. I had to leave to be born again and um, you know, pretty much rediscovered myself. Um, and so that's why I say be true to yourself, because if you're not true to yourself, your body is going to tell you. Uh, rather, you, you start uh, developing fibroids, you know, heart problems, headaches. That is your body telling you that something is not right. And I remember years ago, um, Oprah, I can't remember what her special was about, but it was years ago. And she said, um, God will give you a warning. And he will, he will nudge you, he will tap you, and he will push you. But when you don't listen, he will eventually push a brick wall on top of you until you get it. You know, it's kind of like that story uh, in, the, in the boat where somebody is stuck out, you know, in the water. And he keeps saying, well, God, I was waiting for you. And he said, I sent you a boat. I sent you this. I sent you that. And the person just ignored them. Yeah, that was his nudging and his pushing. And until a wall falls on top of you, you don't get it. So um, that's pretty much what happened to me. And so now I, I listen intensely to my body. Like even when I left that uh, first district attorney's job, my supervisor was just an unreasonable person. Everybody knows who she is, everybody who knows me, but she just was going at me one day. And while she was going at me, I just sat there talking to God and I slept on it for one night. And on Monday I resigned. I said, I cannot do this anymore with someone treating me like I'm a five-year-old child. And I didn't have a job. Uh, people didn't realize that I was there for five and a half years. And when I resigned, I did not have a job. People had no idea. I've been trying to find a job for three years and no one would hire me. So I quit on a Monday. And by Friday, I had three job offers and um, and I didn't give it the two weeks notice only because it was Christmas break. And what my supervisor knew and most people there didn't know is that every time I was forced to work, you know, the weekends and the holidays, which was on a regular basis with her, I actually had to drive to South Carolina um, for my mom to watch my child so I could drive back to court and cover my shift. So in order to give them that two weeks notice, that is what I was going to have to do. I was going to have to and remember that. Well, that year, I think Christmas felt like on a Wednesday. And so they were giving us like Wednesday and Thursday, and then you had to come back on Friday. And I was actually going to do it because that's how diligent I am about my job. And someone sat me down and said, Stephanie, just think about what you are going to put yourself through just so you can put in that two weeks notice of a jet, you know, took your courtroom away and put you in the complaint room weekends. So I gave them one week's notice. And, um, and so that's how that happened. And I ended up with three job offers and ended up taking the one part time offer because the other offers required me to leave. Um, one was for Savannah and I can't remember where the other, and I said, well, you know what, I'm going to try this part-time gig. And that was the uh, part-time solicitor, which I ended up doing for about four years. And um, I loved it until I wanted to devote full-time to my practice. Very powerful. I love it. Now, Renata says, this is so true. Our physical discomfort is a huge 
message. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Now, Stephanie, tell us more about the major challenge you had to overcome in your life. Oh, other than what I just said, let me see. <laughs> I think it was starting um, my practice because um, I never saw myself as a solo practitioner. Um, even when I went to law school, I mean, I, I had this silly vision of my name, you know, being up like, you know, most kids, my name is going to be out there on lights and I'd probably own some property, whatever, but I never thought about owning a business, even though my mother owns two business, I never saw myself doing it because I know how much work it is. And, you know, the practice of law, there, there are so many balls in the air that you have to carry, which is why some people stop doing it after some time, because it's a lot and it can be scary. Um, but I think that was the biggest for me. And, um, it, you know, it just happened because I, I refused to go back into the employment world again and be treated the way I've been treated uh, for so many years with my experience. And um, and I think the biggest challenge maybe was getting out and letting people get to know me because I probably I don't want to say I had an attitude, but. I, I came here with a six month old and I, I think it wasn't until about nine months ago. So I've been fully solo probably about 18 months now. And I think it wasn't until about six to nine months ago that I realized that I'd been in survival mode for 10 years because, you know, I didn't socialize. People thought I wasn't friendly and I wasn't this at the jobs, but what they didn't understand. I have no family here, not, not someone that I could call to pick up my daughter. So if I, I could not be out past six o'clock for anyone who has children. You have to pick up your kids by six or they start charging a dollar a minute. And, you know, some places will shut down the lights <laughs> on you. So I think I'd been in survival mode um, until I started my practice pretty much. And then I was able to relax a little bit. You know, I mean, I kind of started it because she I put her in private school and then private school rules are a little different in public school. So some an incident can happen you know, out of the blue on a Wednesday and the school will call you and say, hey, we're shutting down <laughs> and you have to get there to pick up your kid. That's pretty much how I started the, the contract on um, part time thing is because I needed to pick up my kid. There was no one I could call to pick up my child. Um, and so then when I started the practice, you know, full time and realizing I had to, you know, get out there and get people, you know, have people know me because I think it didn't occur to me until my first coach that people knew me as a prosecutor for so long, no one knew what I was doing. So I couldn't understand why I couldn't get any business, blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't told anyone. I didn't have this grand opening um, like you should. You, I didn't even realize how important that was. So I really had to shift and I had to stop being so private. And I had to get out there and let people know me. And it's still a little scary. You get you know, some interesting um, requests sometimes and people make comments, but I guess that's the price you pay for me <laughs> being an entrepreneur. And um, for me, I think that was the biggest challenge having to come out of my shell and letting people get to know the real me um, so that they can come to my practice as well. But it was mostly finally letting people get to see the real me. Like now constantly I'm receiving comments about glowing and how happy I am. And I hadn't noticed the difference um, before and after, but I guess I do notice it now that people pointed out. And um, and I knew I was miserable in, in the district attorney's office. I knew that because when I was invited out, I wouldn't go because I knew I was miserable. <laughs> I knew I was miserable to be around. <laughs> Amazing. You went from being an introvert to now an extrovert. 
Yes. Owning your own law office. Absolutely yes. amazing. Now you have a question from the audience here. Justin Crane says, I wonder if she has any battles for her soul because I can tell by her choice of words, she's been through the temptations of life or better yet, life's test. Wow. That's a profound question. Um, I would say probably yes in the in the district attorney's office because you do have the balance of the two worlds. You certainly need both sides to have that balance. And I, the bigger challenge for an African-American prosecutor is African-Americans look at us as putting our own people away, so to speak, but, but we're not the ones committing the crimes. Um, and the job as a prosecutor is supposed to be about justice. It's not supposed to be about um, notches on your belt. It's supposed to be about justice. So if I receive a case as a prosecutor, well, I know that I have, this is not the right person. We, we charged the wrong person or the police. It is my duty to um, investigate that and pull that out. I should not be charging somebody going forward on a case that I know that this person couldn't possibly do it. For instance, you know, I had a case where a young man who was probably shorter than me and I'm only five, four, and he said the suspect who robbed him was his height. Well, he was about five one, five two, and the person we had in custody was about six three, six five. And you know that put my alert on right away. And then within forty eight hours of me receiving the the case, um, the young man came in to say, "I think we have the wrong person." And long story short, I had to go through a lot in the just to get that man released, even though it was the wrong person. And one of the police officers even cursed me out uh, because he said, all we ever do is let people go. Well, it was the wrong person. You, <laughs> you arrested the wrong person and even the victim said so. Um, but yeah, so you have those battles. Um, but I, I think I held on to mine. I, I prayed fiercely and someone posted a, a joke earlier about um, having the Bible in your office. And um, he said, you have to have a Bible to keep Jesus. And that's exactly what I said in my office. I kept my Bible on my desk when I worked in the district attorney's office just to remember who I was. And sometimes I had to you know, shut that door and pray in order to survive there for five and a half years. And, and that's my experience I'm speaking from. I cannot speak to other people's experience. It is great experience to be a prosecutor because it will prepare you for any challenges uh, you may have in life. But when I did it in the, when I was a prosecutor in the Bronx, they put you in a classroom and train you for 30 days. You can't come out into the courtroom by yourself until you sat in that classroom. Here was completely different. It's completely different. And I, and I'm even this day after 15 years, I'm still blown away <laughs> by the way it's done here. Um, and so, which is why I could not, I mean, it was just very difficult, very different the way they do it here. Like in New York, the defendants are allowed to testify before the grand jury, their attorney is allowed to be present, even though the attorney can't ask questions here. No, ma'am. Mm -mm. <laughs> Very powerful. Now, Justin says, choosing good, God over evil, the devil is the ultimate test that he, he was referring to. He says, mm -hmm. he's this, so I like to know who's a firm believer. So the question is, are you a believer? Oh, absolutely. I'm a believer. I, I don't think I ever had to choose between the two. I, In my opinion, I always did the right thing. I always did the right thing and I always choose to be on the side of God and Jesus. And I think your, your career doesn't um, identify you one way or the other. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. It does. Absolutely amazing. Now, what gives you the most happiness in your life, Stephanie? <sighs> wow. 
I'm ashamed to say that the first thing that comes to mind is my job because I, I mean, I just, it just comes so natural to me. I mean, of course I love my daughter to death and I probably drown her in, in too much of everything, but I don't know. It just comes so natural. I just love helping people and I'm helping, you know, now I can pick who I want to work for. I can pick who I want to help. Whereas before I never had that choice. Um, and not everyone is for everyone, regardless of what you do. And so I love the ability of saying, yes, I want to work with this person, but I don't think this person is a good fit. But just because you're not a good fit for me doesn't mean that I don't know someone who isn't a good fit for you. Um, I refer cases out every week on a regular basis. Um, I'm not above um, letting go of a case that's too far above me. I'm not above letting go of a case that I, I try to stay in my lane. I'm a former prosecutor and I know criminal law and I help out um, in various ways regarding criminals sometimes. But outside of that, I'm the state planning and probate attorney and anything outside of that, if it's not related to estate planning, I am sending it to somebody else who specializes in that field. And that is amazing. A lot of attorneys do that, but yeah, that's my goal. I just want to, I just want to specialize in estate planning and probate. I love it. And you are working in that field. I love am. It. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Now, what is your best advice for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness to the audience? My best advice, other than being true to yourself, is like you said, do the things that make you happy. Um, I heard, I think it was Lisa mentioning scripting earlier, and I remember someone else, I can't remember his name, that you interviewed that mentioned um, just saying out loud what you want. I have this may be silly, but I have post-its all over the place. <laughs> when, when I decide, when I you know decide I'm going to make, I told somebody the other day, I said, oh, I have two more months to make another 40,000. He said that, he said, that's bold. I said, it's very bold. That's why I'm saying it out loud because I'm going to make it happen. He said, you're going to make $40,000 in two months. I said, yep. <laughs> so you have to be very bold about what you want and put it out there. You can't, you can't keep it inside. I, you have to put it out to the universe, put it out to God. And that's what I do. Um, I talk to God and the dog all day. <laughs> and, um, and I say, you know, make your desires known and not just to yourself, because there's probably somebody who will help you get there, but they don't know if you don't tell them. And that's something I had to learn. It's a, you know, it's a struggle for women in general to ask for help. And, um, and we need to get into the habit of asking for help sometimes because otherwise it will, you know, be the experience that I had where I knew this wasn't right, but I didn't have anybody around me who would tell me the truth. It's been years that people don't tell me the truth. I don't know if it's because of what I do <laughs> for a living. Because <laughs> uh, I, I run it, I was just thinking about that earlier. I said, oh, I have to work with this person again because she's not afraid to tell me the truth about myself. I don't want to be around um, someone who's going to yes me to death because I'm never going to grow that way. And I'm all about growing every day. So I say surround yourself with people who are like-minded, who have similar mindsets, um, and who encourage you to grow. But if you're the smartest person in the room, I think everybody knows you're in the wrong room. That's right. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned mindset. You know I love talking about the mindset. So <laughs> let's talk about that for a moment. How important is it to maintain a resilient mindset and to be able to bounce back after a major challenge happens in your life? Oh, it is extremely important. And I have to say, I still struggle with that, but I'm much better now than I used to be um, because you have to see the silver lining, you know, like for instance, this pandemic, 
a, a lot of people naturally panic and, you know, expect it not to make money. And again, I'm not judging anyone, but the pandemic has also brought a lot of things to light. Like for all of us who, you know, re going out to these multiple meetings in person all the time, driving from one end of town to the other for what might be a 20 minute drive that turns into an hour because of the traffic. Or look at the amazing businesses that have been birthed as a result of the pandemic. And now you have a, a new um, department. I forgot the name. But for people who are working remotely now, for companies who would never do it before, they now had to hire a director now, right, to manage those remote people because you still need to have some type of compliance there. And then look at the number of um, entrepreneur and other businesses that have been born as a result. Look at all the changes that have come about because of the pandemic. So, yes, we have this social distancing thing and the mask, which drives us all crazy because, quite frankly, I developed you know, they ask you these questions about sore throat every time you go somewhere. I get a sore throat every time I have to have a conversation more than two minutes in the mass. It just puts an additional strain um, on my throat. But I know I'm not sick. It's just a strain from speaking on the mass. Uh, but I just think so many good things have come out of this. I, yes, we've lost a lot of people and we will probably continue to lose a lot of people. And someone close to us is probably going to get it. Um, I don't know anybody personally yet, but I know some who've been testing. Um, but there's also a silver lining. So I say, look for the silver lining in all of the challenges. Um, even if it was something that was hurtful for you or to you, there is a silver lining. There was a lesson there you needed um, to obtain that maybe you hadn't gotten that lesson before, even with your, your friends, your challenges with work, anything. There's a silver lining. There's something that comes out of it. Because I sit and I think, hmm, what would have happened if I had just loved all these other jobs? <laughs> You know, what would happen? You know, Graham estate planning would never have happened for a fact. It would never have happened if I was so happy at those other jobs. But clearly this is I believe this is where God wanted me to be, quite frankly. And um, I have a lot of opportunities now that I didn't have before, which is hysterical. <laughs> but I, I don't feel moved to accept those. So I'm not afraid to say yes. But I know what doesn't fit me, if that makes sense. Yes, ma'am. Very powerful. Stephanie, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. I truly appreciate you. Now, where can the audience find you? So the audience can find me on Facebook, uh, Grandma State Planning business page, as well as my personal praise, Stephanie P. Graham. My website is also Grandma State Planning. If you just type it in, I should pop up on at least on the front page. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I have a lot of fun on LinkedIn. Um, but obviously, you know, they're different. But LinkedIn is where I try to educate people a little more about estate planning because um, people would be really surprised about the different nuances of your life that affects every aspect of estate planning. So and my number is um, 888-41-WILLS. That's 888-41-WILLS. So it's pretty easy to remember. And I still answer that phone for now. <laughs> I love it. And say that again for us, for the audience. 888-41-WILLS, W-I-L-L-S. So that's 1-888-419-4557, GrahamEstatePlanning.com. I love it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Stephanie at GrahamEstatePlanning.com. And Stephanie, again, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. You have a blessed day. Thank you. You too, Gigi. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Likewise.